from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Menno, is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines. I'm Deacon Mike Mantle here with Gina No. Good morning, Gina. How are you? Good morning, Deacon Mike. I'm doing well. You have a, a, a daughter that may be in the hurricane yeah. path or something? Yeah, she's going you're... to school in Florida, so they've been experiencing quite a bit of wind and um, rain. She's on the Atlantic side, so mm-hmm. not as, she hasn't experienced the flooding, but definitely some high winds day, night after night, and then it comes through again on the other side. This I don't know if you've noticed. I, I know we don't follow hurricanes here in the Midwest, but I've learned quite a bit about them since she moved there, and this particular one has swerved it. I mean, it was over in Nicaragua and Honduras and did a lot of damage and then like came back into the Gulf and went through Cuba. So, you know, and now it's destroying parts of Florida. It's a crazy thing, hurricanes. Just gives you another thing for a mother to worry about, right? Well, that's right. (laughs) If it isn't the coronavirus, it's the uh, hurricanes. Hurricanes. Yeah. And just for our listeners who don't follow hurricanes, there is another one developing uh, south of the... uh, Caribbean islands, so we'll have to see if it hits before. Okay, well, the season will be over in a couple of weeks, so hopefully she'll be safe down there. We'll keep her in our prayers right. and uh, and all that. Uh, the other daughter's here at home, so we don't have to. No, that's w- right. Worry about her? No, huh? locked in her bedroom because uh, her school just went online, so uh, uh. she <laughs> she's become a hermit. Yeah, she even asked me to bring her food up to her room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, anyway, we got an interesting program today. Of course, we're. Uh, we're still trying to figure out what uh, what to make of the election a couple of weeks ago. We've got still a lot of vote counting going on. It seems like the Senate right now is going to be deadlocked uh, 50-50. And, um, but we have two senators, I guess it would be 49-49 right now. There will be two senators elected in Georgia in a runoff election that's coming up in January. And that they will control the balance of the Senate. Right. And I think it makes for a lot of, um, uh, we're, we're going to talk about journalism and, and the press today, mm-hmm. and I think it makes for a lot of interesting slants on the way that uh, all of these stories are being presented uh, to the American people. I think we ought to explain maybe for a minute why there's two Senate elections in Georgia. One is the, one of the senators, uh, Kelly Laughlin, I think that's her name, Loftus, something like that, she was appointed to fill a vacancy. And when that happens, the next general election, the people elect for the remaining term of that senator. Okay? Right. Then the other senator, his term naturally expires this year. Right. He and was so up we're, for re-election. And he was up for re-election exactly. anyway. So that's how we happen to have two in the same state at the same time. So that's going to be interesting. And in their races, neither of them garnered at least 50% of the vote, which under 
Georgia law requires that there be a runoff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the governor sets the date for the runoff. And the runoff, I think, is the second or or the fifth, something like that. I think it's the first week in January. Right up close to the uh, date of the inauguration. Of the inauguration. And, of course, depending on who is elected president, that's still somewhat up in the air. Uh, We're going to have either a Democrat or Republican vice president presiding over the Senate. So if uh, Joe Biden wins, as everybody seems to be projecting, uh, then his running mate, Kamala Harris, will be vice president who will preside over the Senate to do any tie-breaking that is necessary. So that's the situation where this is why uh, uh, Georgia is And that will radically change policies. I mean, say what you want, but if that occurs, uh, policies will change at a radical speed. But if the Senate maintains its Republican majority, um, many of the radical policies or the policies that affect people of faith mm -hmm. are have a little bit of a firewall. The the more radical uh, ideas they have, will be tempered back. Right. All right. That doesn't mean Could that we're be not... stalled. Yeah, that doesn't mean right. we're not going to have a progressive agenda uh, that's passed in Washington, but some of the m- more progressive things will be held up by a Republican Senate. So we'll see what happens. That, I, th- I think either way, the presidential election starts again next February. I think it's already <laughs> <For> started. 2024. <laughs> I think it's already started. <laughs> so there you go for your political yeah, highlights yeah, of the yeah, week. Yeah, and it, it's going to go on, and I'm a little suspicious... Uh, about what's been going on in the counting, but uh, we just have to let it play out. Everybody wants to end this and say this one won or that one going to win. Let it play out. We've got a procedure here to figure this all out. Hopefully it will work. Well, and I, I, I'm really glad that we're taking a close look at it because uh, what what happened this year um, for people outside of Iowa who have developed their mail-in program for a variety of 20, 22 years, it's evolved into what it is today, and there are great um, uh, procedures in place to handle the mail-in votes in Iowa. Uh, But in many of these states, it was simply an experiment in just dumping a program on a state that never handled it before. Yeah. I'm glad they're looking at it. Yeah, so we will see. Do you have a uh, prayer to open us up with? I do. A prayer for peace this morning. And we need that. We do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace. Bring your peace to our violent world, peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of the earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred, strengthen us in hope, and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Gina. And we will be back shortly with Dexter Dugan, reporter for The Wanderer. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. 
Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmanInternational.org. That's BlessmanInternational.org. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Catholic Tuition Organization. Your support of CTO provides qualifying families tuition assistance to send their kiddos to our Catholic schools. They benefit and you benefit with 65% Iowa tax credits online at ctoiowa.org. Until December 15th, contributions from new donors are matched. New donors double their impact with a donation to CTO. Thanks to the Reichardt Family Foundation. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines. 515-440-4610 or online, ashworthvision.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we are here uh, this morning with Dexter Dugan, who's a reporter uh, for The Wanderer, uh, one of my colleagues on The Wanderer. Dexter, how are you this morning? Well, fine. How about you, Mike? We're just we're doing fine here too. It's a little chilly. You're down in Arizona. Um, I hope it's a little warmer for you down oh there God, than it is. It. <laughs> sure, it is. Well, what what's your definition of chilly? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, we've been. I uh, wanted to talk to you about um, um, news bias. Uh, we know you've been in the news business uh, a long time, and you do a fair amount of writing for the Wander. Um, and I got something from you the other day. We've been going back and forth um, uh, via email, and I thought that what you sent out to me last night was kind of interesting, and it piqued my interest in, in some of this and, and made a few things a little clearer to me. Uh, you go back, when we talk about bias, you go back to when you were with the Arizona Republic uh, in the early 70s. You want to relate that to me a little bit? Well, I was on the editorial page as a youngster at the Republic in the early 70s. Uh, there was not much bias, pro-abortion bias, as you would see generally in newspapers back then. But being on the inside of the operation, I saw this pro-abortion bias there. And, of course, it would work its way out in, into news coverage. Uh, to my surprise, one of the women on what was then called the women's page told me that she and another woman on the woman's page were doing volunteer abortion counseling in the early 70s. A woman in the newsroom told me that if she wanted to have an abortion, she would. 
And then another woman in the newsroom came back to lobby our editorial page department uh, in favor of the Equal Rights Amendment. So what what the uh, feelings were boiling up there in the newspaper itself were bound to go out and affect coverage. Uh, in the early 70s, you might not think that even the largest paper in Arizona, which we were, would maybe already be reflecting the biases of back, uh, like left-wing New York City, but they certainly were. And this and is so before Roe versus uh, Wade was decided. Pardon me? It wasn't this before Roe versus Wade? Well, right about that time, right. Roe was 73, so this was shortly before 73 and into 73. And I take it over the years, uh, while you were with the Republic and other places, you saw this um, continue, this bias to continue to expand. Well, I think we could say that in the last 50 years, things certainly have not gotten any better. Uh, you may recall in 1990, which now is 30 years ago, David Shaw at the L.A. Times wrote that series, which the Times did run on the front page, that the the media are pro-abortion biased. Uh, I certainly could attest to that. I had been in Orange County, California, which is just down the 5 freeway from L.A., down the 405 and the 5 freeway from L.A., an hour's drive, and uh, I was covering the Waddell trial at that time uh, in the latter 70s for the Wander, and uh, Dr. Waddell was accused of strangling a baby girl who survived a saline abortion he performed. And the L.A. Times at that time had over one million circulation, and it strenuously kept that trial out of most of the paper. Uh, the Orange County edition had about 150,000 circulation then, so the coverage would be there on usually the, the B, B1, the local news front page. Mostly the story did not even get into the main edition, uh, the, the large majority of the a million plus circulation, because to even mention such things would be damaging to the pro-abortion cause. Even if we're talking about late-term babies coming out alive from abortion, which many did from saline abortion, and that's why saline abortion was later put aside as not being such a desirable method. The Times did not want its pro-abortion advocacy to be questioned by people seeing this kind of information. This reminds me uh, a little bit about the early coverage of Gosnell. Um, exactly. That was in Philadelphia, for those who don't remember who uh, Gosnell was, Dr. Gosnell. He was a, uh, a notorious abortionist in Philadelphia, um, and... Um, uh, there's uh, ultimately, he, I guess, he was convicted of having killed uh, a couple of newborn babies that he was trying to abort that that came out alive, and he killed. Uh, but it was uh, it was a horrible, horrible situation there, and the press pretty much ignored that, especially the local press in in Philadelphia. They just ignored it. Uh, for as long as they could, yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, now there's a movie out about it, and uh, he's serving probably the rest of his life in prison for, for what he did. Just one other thing I could mention about admissions of pro-abortion bias. The, the New York Times itself had what was called the public editor, which it did away with now, because I guess, I guess they couldn't pretend to be fair at all and be under the microscope of a public editor. But uh, back in 2004... The New York Times public editor, Daniel Okrent, said that, of course, the Times is a liberal paper. He said, if you think the paper plays it down the middle, 
on issues like gay rights, gun control, abortion, and environmental regulation, you've been reading the paper with your eyes closed. And so a little bit too much of this kind of examination of the Times practices. And Liz Spayed, if that's how she pronounced her last name, I don't know, S-P-A-Y-D. She was the last public editor of the New York Times. And now, as we know, the Times is just a hotbed <laughs> of left-wing raised consciousness. And, of course, they got rid of their own editorial page recently. And she was sure, he was shortly followed. That was James Bennett. Mm-hmm. He was shortly followed out the door with the recognition of Barry Weiss, who was no conservative. But if you're less than apparently a super liberal at the Times, they just have no room for you anymore. Yeah, Gina, did you have something? Well, I I look at this from an economic standpoint. You know, the papers or the press is survived, or the media s- survives by the support they receive from their advertisers. The it, you know that keeps them alive. And the only way the advertisers will continue to support them is if their subscribers continue to grow or or are of the demographic the advertiser is wishing to influence. Uh, do you see a change in the way subscribers... Um, I know the print media is probably way down from where it was in the 70s, obviously, um, but you can subscribe online. How do you... Do, have you looked at that at all, Dugan, um, how the subscriptions are... Um, being um, spent, uh, their dollars well, being spent in the media? It, well, it is, of course, a very different environment these days than 20 or 30 years ago. Like when I later worked at the Orange County Register in Southern California, I think our circulation was over 300,000, and now it, like the Republic circulation here, like many circulations, the hard copy circulation is simply down. Now, a neighbor of mine used to say the Republic these days is so light that when you throw it in the driveway, it almost just blows away. Uh, it is just a shadow of its former self. And often now, there's appeals made by the paper, please subscribe, please subscribe. And it is simply a left-wing paper. Uh, they have one a columnist who, like, is simply the official Democratic Party spokesman for the paper, although he doesn't go by that title, of course. But whatever the hard-left position is, there it is every day. And so, although the Republic is telling us, please subscribe, they punch us in the face at the same time. Hey, Republic, we have no reason to subscribe to this kind of stuff. And I think that's that's just widespread. People are not looking to be propagandized by left-wing major media outlets. It seems to follow on what is happening in the cable industry right now. Uh, A lot of people, I guess, are leaving Fox. They considered Fox to be a conservative cable network, and Fox came out early on and started uh, calling the race, uh, the presidential race for Biden, referring to him as president-elect, and that irritated a lot of uh, 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 listeners who thought that they were trying to uh, uh, push uh, Biden on them, and they've started leaving Fox News and gone to uh, One News and and or One American News and, and Newsmax. Uh, sure. I don't know how long that's going to last. If people are just irritated, because I know uh, Tucker Carlson, I, I'm sure, still has a good uh, a good following. Sure. But um, one of the things that I was thinking about, and this is after I got your your email last night, and we had chatted about this, was going back to the 70s. I'm thinking that when I was in uh, in college, and this will date me a little bit, uh, it was in, in the 70s. It was during the Nixon administration, and it was during uh, the beginning of what would then be called Watergate. 
And I know as I was studying journalism then, uh, a lot of um, students were uh, reacting, I suppose, as students do everywhere, to news around them. The Vietnam War was going on. Uh, But then Watergate came up, and uh, these uh, crusading, put that in, in quotes, crusading journalists went out after Richard Nixon and became heroes. Uh, in the public mind, and eventually there was a movie made of them. And I'm wondering how much that contributed to the bias we see today, where uh, journalists at that time that were entering the field when when I was um, uh, felt that you had uh, believed in this advocacy journalism, that you had to uh, advocate for something uh, in order to be a good journalist, and you had to go and you had to dig out corruption here and there and everywhere, and usually it was just on one side because nobody liked Nixon. He was a Republican, you know. And, uh, and, and that just permeated through the younger people that were entering the profession at that time, and then as they matured in the profession, uh, that's the belief they took with them as they moved up and became editors uh, and correspondents themselves. Oh, sure. Well, I, I recall the definite spirit. I want to be a journalist so I can, like, overturn the Republican president. Yeah. So, simply, like, writing articles was not... And Robert Redford will play yeah. in the movie. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, if I could just mention one other example, your readers may, or your listeners may recall, uh, 10 years ago when the story came out about Bishop Thomas Olstead here in Phoenix... Uh, removing the Catholic certification from St. Joseph's Hospital, that was because not only had the hospital performed a direct abortion, but, you know, this is a mistake, so let's just put that behind us. No, the hospital said it would not rule out future abortions either. So Bishop Olmsted said at that time, well, you just can't continue to have your Catholic certification. The, The fact was here, this was a woman in poor health, with pulmonary hypertension, so it was not an easy pregnancy, but the hospital performed a direct abortion by removing, by disconnecting the placenta and just leaving the baby in to die, rather than making any effort to save the baby's life as well as the mom's. And the Republic, to return to the Arizona Republic, the reporter at that time who uh, did not much care for the Catholic Church, at least not the traditional version of it, kept saying in his coverage that Bishop Olmsted, quote, deemed, unquote, that abortion was performed. Like, there's not really any real definition of abortion. We can't say the placenta was disconnected, but somehow in Bishop Olmsted's mind, he, quote, deemed that an abortion had been performed. And so this was just just the kind of a slanting of the news that we expect to see so so frequently, unfortunately. And that seems very prevalent these days. Oh, for sure. Well, and, the, you know, we're talking about how the press is um, very anti-Catholic or Christian conservative values. Uh, I Part of it, it uh, is propaganda, obviously, and it influences the public opinion. I, I can't help but think of this most recent story when our mainstream media tried to, or may have, successfully um, allowed Catholics to think that the Pope is in favor of uh, gay marriage and that we should all get behind the Pope. Um, 
quite quite opposite from the way we've traditionally been told to regard the Pope. You know, an old, out-of-it man, but now suddenly we have a new day here. Well, it just all comes down to how closely does any public figure share the views of the dominant media. If that person does, well, he's a great person. If he doesn't, well, he's an all-regressive Trump supporter or something like that. Sure, and and I think that, unfortunately, they'll do the same thing with President-elect Biden and his views on abortion. Um, Catholics will be very disturbed by the reports coming from the propaganda media. Oh, you're exactly right. Joe Biden will be presented as a, as he, he is presented, as a wonderful, faithful Catholic, and uh, uh, whereas if he were very much against abortion, he'd be presented in quite a different way. And they've been doing it for years with uh, Miss Pelosi, also. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. She gets a total pass. If she were the opposite, she'd be hounded from uh, dawn to dusk. And of course, uh, Kamala Harris, who is. Uh, um, perhaps the vice president-elect um, is shown a lot of anti-Catholic bias during the uh, her public um, life. Yes, she regarded anyone who remember the Knights of Columbus. If a, a judicial nominee belonged to the Knights of Columbus, this was something very suspect. And she was the attorney general back when the pro-life investigative journalist David Delayden had his home in Orange oh, County sorry. raided on her orders. It was raided, and his investigative materials were taken away. So you think, you know, this is the days of Joe McCarthy. No, this is the days of pro-abortion fanatics in political office. And even the Supreme Court knocked down what she wanted to force the California pro-life pregnancy centers to promote abortion. And even the Supreme Court said, well, this is not freedom of conscience. How do you get off here? And they overturned the law that she had supported when she was attorney general. But, but unfortunately, we seem to see um, this media bias all over. And I don't know when and how it's going to stop. I think, I think part of what may start to curb it a little bit is the changing technology here, where, you, as you mentioned, you know, the print uh, subscriptions are down in a lot of places, and a lot of that has to do with uh, with technology changes. And we get into cable news, and there's a lot of different choices now. So people, I suppose, can if you want a conservative broadcast entity, you can go there. If you want a liberal one, you can go to uh, CNN or something like that. But what that tends to do, I guess, and I'm kind of talking around in circles here, but I guess what that tends to do is that tends to split us up even more. Uh, divide the country up even more. Uh, we are no longer broadcasting or narrow casting to a specific target audience, and uh, and the rest of the people uh, we don't care about. Well, it's true we don't have a so-called a daily shared database, which is what the New York Times was once referred to as, at least among the elite. On the other hand, if we're looking for facts, we have to go off to our own area because we can't rely on this dominant media, which has simply rendered itself unbelievable, and we have the evidence for that, uh, why bother to read all these lies? And so they have, put, they have lost our audience by their own bad behavior. But they've also contributed to um, the spreading of their, um, uh, their journalistic uh, ideas into the minds of young people, and unfortunately, this just gets replicated over and over again, and pretty soon we'll have another crop of people coming up that believe the same way they do. But maybe we'll break it this time. I don't know. 
Well, we, we can pray and work. Uh, speaking of that alternate media, I was just noticing that this uh, Richard Hopkins, the postal worker, who said that he saw ballots being backdated for postmarks, right. as he was talking about his being pressured to change a story, and as he referred to a Washington Post story, he did not take out a piece of paper and hold it up. He took out his phone and said, look here, here's this Washington yeah. Post story. So he's using alternate media right there to to demonstrate what the Washington Post was saying about him. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think it's uh, I think it's something we got to watch. Uh, and uh, as you know, uh, since we're colleagues on the Wander, I've I've written a lot about uh, the media and problems with the media these days. So uh, we'll we'll have to follow up on this and see how it's going in a little while. But uh, right now we're out of time, Dexter. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we could talk about this I think for an hour, but. Uh, uh, time moves on with us in radio. We gotta, we gotta end it at a certain point. Want to thank you for being with us. We'll have you back again. Talk more about this. Okay, be happy to do that. In the meantime, pray and work. Yes, yes, pray and work. Thank you very much, Dexter Dugan from the Wanderer. This is Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio. We'll be back right after these messages with Father Frank Pavone. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Catholic Tuition Organization. Your support of CTO provides qualifying families tuition assistance to send their kiddos to our Catholic schools. They benefit and you benefit with 65% Iowa tax credits. Online at ctoiowa.org. Until December 15th, contributions from new donors are matched. New donors double their impact with a donation to CTO. Thanks to the Reichardt Family Foundation. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines. 515-440-4610 or online, ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio on Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith.
Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. A mix of sunshine and clouds and about 50 and breezy today following a cold front. Little gusty overnight and cold with our low near 23 and then tomorrow sunshine in low 40s. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we are back with Father Frank Pavone, the National Director of Priests for Life. Father, how are you this morning? Doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, certainly. Anytime you want to come on, our door is open for you. I understand that uh, you have an anniversary today. I do. Thank you for mentioning that. 32 years ago today, Cardinal John O'Connor of New York ordained me to the priesthood, and uh, so I'm celebrating today that special anniversary and uh, just had Mass uh, this morning, our, our broadcast Mass each day, so I did the beautiful prayers that the Church's sacramentary provides for a priest on the or, or, uh, anniversary of his ordination. So thanks for mentioning that. And, Certainly. Uh, well, we have a we cake all... for you here when you sh- ever you oh, show good. up in Des Moines. We <laughs> have a cake. Just happy anniversary. Good. Yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard uh, uh, coming out of the Vatican today that uh, they're considering Joe Biden for sainthood. Well, you know, isn't that interesting? Well, and, the, uh, <laughs> the, reason, the reason is, is is in the last two weeks he's raised more people from the dead than uh, Jesus has. Well, you know, it is, it is a significant miracle, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we have... Uh, you know, and it, it, it's it's a it's an important moment for America because uh, we have to understand that in this uh, as yet undecided presidential race, President Trump and his team are not simply trying to win the election. Of course, they 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 want to, of course, but this is also about something else. And both sides of the political aisle should be able to agree and vigorously agree that every legal vote should be counted but no illegal vote should be counted. And we have to be a society of law and order, not only in terms of peace in the streets of our cities, but in terms of the proper handling of ballots and voting. I mean, states, by, the, by, by virtue of the Constitution, the states determine through their legislatures the laws regarding elections. And, for example, if a state sets a deadline, uh, like Pennsylvania has by 8 p.m. on election night, you know, that's the deadline. Any ballots received after that cannot be considered legal uh, ballots. Well, listen, if we've got laws, we've got to follow the laws. Otherwise, why do we have laws? We become a lawless society, and then elections are, are don't mean anything. So uh, that's what's at stake here, because there's plenty of... Um, allegations and concerns that have been raised, and the only right thing to do is for everybody to agree that, hey, if there is fraud, uh, especially if it's going to make a difference in the outcome, let's investigate it and correct it now. Uh, we all have to tr- be able to trust. Uh, Even if it doesn't uh, change the outcome, we want to know where it is so we can correct it for next time, too, because with all these yes, new the mail-in ballots and everything, we've, got, we, we've created a mess here. You know, and I'll tell you why it's a, it's a mess. I mean, there are a handful of states that have been using mail-in ballots for 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 years and have you know have basically worked out the 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 mechanism. Okay, so uh, but this time around, and and of course the 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 China virus uh, inspired a lot of this. 
uh, some states changed their uh, their law, and of course, again, the state legislatures are entitled to do that. Some of them changed their law and said, let's have a mail-in ballot system. Nevada, for example, passed this over the summer, and a handful of other states. Here's the problem. The problem is that they did not have the experience of handling this. It wasn't a problem that the post office couldn't handle it. It's a problem that once the post office delivers all these ballots, how is the state handling them? And if people don't know what we're talking about, you know, let's give a, a concrete example. Um, a, a mail-in ballot. Okay, if you're there in person in the polling place, somebody asks for your signature. Usually, you know, they're matching the signature and so forth. It, with a mail-in ballot, we've had, for example, in Pennsylvania, there was confusion. Uh, well, do the do the uh, board of elections when they're receiving these mail-in ballots have to make sure there's a signature verification before they count the ballot? And again, if a state is doing this for the first time uh, or has a surge. In, in mail-in ballots that they didn't have before, again, because of the, 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 the virus. You know, are there people properly instructed? Are there election workers properly, you know, trained and ready to deal with all these kinds of questions that arise? We are finding out now that, in fact, they were not in a lot of places. There was confusion. Do we count a ballot that doesn't have a signature? Do we count a ballot that wasn't put in the safety envelope, you know, that it's supposed to be put in, and if they're not put in there, it's, it's called a naked ballot. Right. And it's like, you know, if, if, if that's considered illegal under state law, well, for, well, then you can't count it, you know, and this is the kind of confusion that has arisen. Yeah. Now, besides the confusion right now, uh, I want to look a little forward here. Um, yes. Obviously, there are a lot of attorneys and people that are working on these lawsuits and counting, trying to count ballots and whatever. Uh, and uh, we uh, ought to just let that play out uh, yes. as it's supposed yes. to and pray that they do it correctly. Uh, but where do we go from here? Um, we're looking right now at a, a very uh, perhaps unfriendly administration coming in, unfriendly to yes. pro-life uh, unfriendly in many ways to Catholicism and Christianity, yes. Um, yes. Uh, where do we go? And, uh, and what do we look for from our bishops? They're meeting next week. What are we expecting right. them to say or do? Uh, are they doing enough? You know, there's been a lot of criticism of some of the bishops or the bishops as, as a body. There are some great bishops out there that have taken very strong positions on this stuff but so where do we go we're, we're the, the the laity the people that are listening to us on the radio um what should they do what what are we looking for yeah. besides getting on our knees and, and praying a lot getting those beads right, out? And, yeah right. right there's a lot of things first of all we need to work closely with the great people that we have elected we've gotten a lot of victories at the state level first of all the you know democrats try to flip states especially states where there's a republican controlled legislature and governor's mansion uh... they tried to undo some of that they failed in fact the republicans gained on the state level uh... they have twenty three trifectas now as opposed to democrats having fifteen and then another twelve that are divided when you've got a republican governor and both chambers of the legislature under Republican, i.e. pro-life uh, uh, control, that's where we see all these state laws coming forward. And we, we can expect a lot of great state laws that advance pro-life and religious freedom and so forth. 
So we've got to be working with the great people who have been elected or reelected on the state level, first of all, and then on our federal level. I think of Iowa, for example. We have once again uh, Senator Joni Ernst right, in there. We like work her. with her on the. Oh, he's, she's wonderful. We work with yeah. her on the federal level. There's a lot of other great pro-life senators and great pro-life female senators, too. They're going to have a great role front and center as we continue to advance the pro-life cause. So I, I want to encourage people, work with your elected officials. Get to know them better than you ever have before and join hands with them. Support them. They need your support. They need your backing. That's number one. Number two. Uh, we've still got some runoff elections in Georgia. Now, right now, uh, the pro-life contingent in the U.S. Senate, um, the Republicans have 50 seats that they have won. That's significant. Okay, that's half the Senate. But it's also right on the edge of, of the majority, and there are two U.S. Senate races to be decided in Georgia on the 5th of January. Anyone who knows people in Georgia, please encourage them to vote in that special election and to vote pro-life. This Georgia is very on our mind. Yeah, <laughs> because, because if, in fact, of course, the House, the House of Representatives remains uh, under Democrat majority, however, a lesser Democrat majority, and that, again, was a surprise. They thought they were going to gain more seats. They lost a bunch of seats. Um, but this, it's still under, under Democrat majority. So if Biden were to get into the White House... What we have then is just the Senate standing in the way of a very extreme radical agenda that they would want to implement, including a very extreme abortion measures that would erase a lot of the state laws. And I mean, they would they would run the table. Having a pro-life Senate would block a lot of that activity. Yeah, okay, I think so. it's 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 uh, interesting to note that Kamala Harris, who, if uh, Biden wins, would be presiding over the Senate and perhaps casting a deciding uh, tie tie-breaking vote. Uh, as a reputation of being pretty anti-Catholic. Yes, yes, that's the other concern. And, of course, you know, it's a problem with her, and it's a problem with the whole party. And, and this is where people have to understand. You know, I think there were, there were a number of people, and especially among Catholic voters, that voted for, for Mr. Biden because they felt like, oh, well, first of all, he's Catholic, and secondly, you know, maybe they had this impression that he was more moderate than some of these other Democrats. Here's the problem. Uh, it's not just about him. Uh, you know, if he were sitting in the Oval Office, you know, the bigger problem might be the person who's sitting in the office down the hall from him. You know, you have a party issue here with religious freedom, with a lot of other things, pro-life and so forth. But, but just taking religious freedom, you know, he already said publicly that he would want to bring this HHS mandate back to the way it was before. Uh, President Trump extended the exemptions that groups like Priests for Life, Little Sisters of the Poor, and other groups have to live out our conscience and our religious values in our in the workplace. He wants to reverse that and bring it back. What Biden does, that's a big problem. But it's a it's a problem inherent not just in him. It's inherent in the party. If you look carefully, and and this is where you, as you ask, you know, where do we go? What do we do from here? We've got to study. We've got to take time to learn and read. For example, read through carefully the Democrat Party platform, because when it talks about religious freedom, you know what they actually say? What, we, what you and I would call religious freedom, what our bishops would call religious freedom, uh, they'd consider discrimination. discrimination. Mm -hmm. 
Now, this is very dangerous kind of thing. I, I mean, very dangerous approach. You know, we were told at Priests for Life, oh, well, you, if you don't in- include for certain forms of abortion in your health insurance like the administration told you to, you're exercising discrimination against your female staff that might want to get contraceptives. And it's like, no, we're not. If you force us to include that, you're discriminated against us who want to live out our faith, not just in church on Sunday, but in the workplace on Monday. So it's, it's, uh, this is a big concern, big concern. What do we do also going forward? Uh, what we also have to do going forward is realize that what President Trump has initiated in this country with the movement called MAGA, you know, Make America Great Again, people have to understand that's not just a political slogan. I mean, it was used as a campaign slogan and a very effective one, but we have to look beyond the the partisan politics and understand there's a whole understanding there. It's a whole way of thinking. And, you know, even if President Trump weren't to, to have a second term, he has won in a big way in as much as he has reshaped the thinking of the Republican Party and the thinking of tens of millions of Americans who realize that, you know, this, this way of thinking that says, hey, it's good to pr- be proud to be an American. It's good to make sure that we don't get cheated by the rest of the world or that our jobs and our companies don't get shipped overseas. It's good to have a strong military, a strong border, religious freedom, right to life. These are good things. And, and, and we can pursue these things while being not only cooperative players on the on the international stage but productive partners in building world peace you look see what he's done recently with israel and these these new accords that are taking place in the middle east so we keep in other words we keep fighting for this no matter who occupies the white house we keep fighting because as the president has said it's not just a campaign it's a movement it's not just about him it's about us and it's about us also as catholics because he has implemented so much of, a, of what we value and believe in the Catholic faith. Okay, how do we win the hearts and minds of society? Because uh, it seems to me that, that ultimately, uh, in order for us to prevail in our, um, not only in our Christian values, but in our pro-life values, that somehow we have to be able to uh, get society to believe what we believe and understand what we understand. Mm. You know what? It boils down to, if we really want to look at this right in a nutshell and from the core of our faith, we have to be holy. We have to be saints. Uh, you know, the, the, the faith transformed the world. It needs to transform it again. People need to be able to look at us, look at our parishes, look at our ministries, look at us personally, and say, wow, these people really have something. The, the, God, the God they invoke has transformed their lives, has made them into joyful, generous people, and and they've got some great ideas going and we if we can show how those ideas work within the christian community for example happy families who have chosen life and are raising children with the joy of the lord whether those children have disabilities or whether they you know maybe they don't have uh, uh, the 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 uh, uh, economic uh, uh, abilities that they would like to have, but they're making it work anyway. And it, it, this is an example, then, for the rest of the world. So our, as the Church has always said, our teaching has to be backed up by our witness, and it has to be a witness of, of joyful service. Beyond that, the arguments that we make in the, in the uh, public arena, we need to be constantly uh, training ourselves, honing our skills to be able to articulate the message, and then make use of all the ways that we have to do that. For example, social media, you know, let's not look at it as something negative. Let's look at it as a tool that God has given us to 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 
connect with people who are like-minded. That's a great power of social media. Connect with like-minded folks that we might not otherwise ever be able to find or meet. And, and then secondly, we use those platforms to make good arguments, spread good messages, uh, inspire people. Uh, use the tools we have. That's, uh, that's key. And use the tools we have in the, as I was mentioning earlier, in working with our elected officials, in, you know, communicating our messages to our fellow citizens. And then, yeah. of course, encourage our clergy to, oh, yes. to use the methods they have to, to get this method across, these messages across. Gina? Oh, I think you, you've hit on answering most of my questions, which were, how do we study, learn, read, and educate? Because I think a lot of members of our society have heard the propaganda in the media and have mm. have bought into the negativity towards towards the faith, or inaccurate information even yeah. about the faith. Um, it's worse than ever. It yeah, really right. is worse than ever. And we, um, the dignity mm-hmm. of the human person is lost in all of it. And say what you want about President Trump, I think he understood the dignity of the human person, both in, in his yeah. international politics and his uh, and his national politics. No, no, he, he, he does. And like I say, he, uh, he will... Um, he has built a foundation, and hopefully, you know, this will work out in his favor. We need that. Uh, but even if it, it didn't, he's not, he's not going to be absent from the, from the arena of American politics. He's going to continue to exercise a great influence. And people really need to, I think, in, in terms of what you're saying, in counteracting myths and, and uh, wrong information, let's start with him as a man, as a leader, as a president. I, st- I had during, we might have talked about this on a previous program during the election season, I, I set up a website called Election Honesty. Um, and, you know, because we often hear within the church, for example, calls for civility, you know, in our electoral politics, calls for unity and honesty and dialogue. Yeah, let's say amen to those things. And one of the ways is that, you know, we shouldn't lie about one another. And, and, and so many people have lied and continue to lie about, about Donald J. Trump. So I, I sent up, I set up a website called Election Honesty. It deals with a dozen, a dozen of the most common things, and you know, just I think as just just from not from a political standpoint, but just from a Catholic standpoint, to say, look, I have a I have a duty to protect my neighbor's reputation. The, the, the Catechism teaches us against against rash judgment, against calumny, and so starting there, getting some good information. Um, and, 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 and we can't make progress in our public life if, unless we can just deal honestly with one another. Then building from that, looking at all the accomplishments that have been made, I think moving forward, uh, a transition in administrations does not mean you just throw out and abandon and forget what has been happening these last four years. The president has built such a strong foundation. We need to study what these accomplishments are, and then we need to challenge those who have been elected this time around, uh, we need to say to them, listen, are you going to abandon and reverse these policies? If so, you, you need to give us a rationale, because we didn't elect a dictator. We elected people that are, that are supposed to be responsible to the people who elected them. So give us r- good reasons. And we need to challenge publicly any changes that are going to be made. Uh, and, 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 but we can't do that unless we read and understand that the foundation we're building on. So, uh, promise. Oh, well, I I put up a special website. For example, um, one is called uh, TrumpandCatholics.org, and uh, you know it, it's based on 
original sources of, of, of accomplishments made over these last four years that are especially meaningful to us as Catholics. And we need to even now. I'm sorry? I was going to say, we're just about out of time here, and yes. I, I did want to uh, have you give us your, your blessing before we go and congratulate you once again on 32 years of priestly ministry. Well, thank you so much for that, and, and, and may the Lord, the High Priest, Jesus Christ, pour out his blessings on each and every one of you, on your families, on your work, uh, and, and on your faith. And may he bless and protect you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Next time we're going to have you on for long. We'll have you on for a whole hour next time. Let's do it. All right, we will. <laughs> Father Frank Favone, National Director of Priests for Life. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be back in just a few minutes. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Catholic Tuition Organization. Your support of CTO provides qualifying families tuition assistance to send their kiddos to our Catholic schools. They benefit and you benefit with 65% Iowa tax credits. Online at ctoiowa.org. Until December 15th, contributions from new donors are matched. New donors double their impact with a donation to CTO. Thanks to the Reichardt Family Foundation. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines. 515-440-4610 or online ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. 
And welcome back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, Gina, interesting program today, and I think we covered two of the big issues that people are looking at today, not only politically, but sociologically, sociologically, but uh, faithfully, too, uh, pro-life and uh, the media bias. Exactly, and I think that just... Ties right into you know the second or the First Amendment and the protections of those rights, and um, we have to be careful about what we what we say. We don't want to hear the press talking about because the, the the First Amendment allows that, but we do need to be better educated and cause them to be more truthful. Yeah, and Father was talking about civility, uh, and I think we probably noted this before. There are uh, what seventy two million upset Republicans these days, well, and not one voters, brick has been yes. thrown through one window. Uh, you know, so I've, we, on one side, have ratcheted things down. We're not out there in the street yelling insults at people. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You're not doing that, Deacon Mike? Yes. I, I, I'm trying not to. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've just got time, I guess, to end in prayer. Um, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. That's it for uh, today. Uh, Join us again next week. Until then, uh, have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.